Thanks for clicking play on the latest episode of the Iowa Revolution podcast. My name is Spencer Dirks. His name is Dr. Bob Leonard. Dr. Bob, how you doing? I'm great. Merry Christmas. Yes, Merry Christmas. This is our Happy Christmas uh, episode. Happy New Year. Happy Holidays to all of our listeners whatever faith or non-faith that you choose to celebrate. Got a jam-packed show for you today. At the end of the podcast today, we've got the top five Christmas movies. Not a whole lot of Christmas content otherwise. Not a whole lot of good news necessarily this week, but we do have a lot to talk about. Right off the bat, we're going to update you on a story we talked about last week, that satanic display, which was damaged, and they found the guy that did it, and that's kind of an interesting story in and of itself. Also, you may have seen Tory Taylor was at a Donald Trump rally in Iowa City, the famous All-American punter. He just won the Ray Guy Award for the best punter in the nation. So we'll clear up kind of what that situation was, because I was certainly intrigued when I first saw that he had singled Tory Taylor out in his crowd. So that was also kind of an interesting story. We also have a couple cock talk stories. President Trump is leaning further and further into Nazi rhetoric, which is extremely scary. You just saw Governor Ron DeSantis in Oskaloosa. He was at Smoky Row. So, and you also had a chance to talk to a protester who interrupted Ron DeSantis's comments. So we'll kind of discuss what she was trying to, I guess, bring to light which was also very interesting. And also, over the past year or two, there's been a lot of stories about Clarence Thomas and other Supreme Court justices getting paid by billionaires, and it's certainly a conflict of interest in many cases. And we'll kind of go back to the beginning. ProPublica had a really good article, and we're just going to scratch the surface of what it was all about. But it certainly was kind of interesting how this may have come about. So we'll start off. This is from KCCI. Dr. Bob also had a piece on this in his Deep Midwest Substack. So make sure you're subscribed to that. Or you can just Google Deep Midwest Dr. Bob or Robert Leonard and you can find it. In fact, Deep Midwest will get you there. So again, from KCCI. A Mississippi man has been charged with criminal mischief for allegedly vandalizing the Satanic Temple of Iowa's Baphomet display in the Capitol building Thursday. The Iowa Department of Public Safety says 35-year-old Michael Cassidy of Lauderdale, Mississippi, was charged with fourth-degree criminal mischief. He has since been released. Cassidy is a Republican running for a seat in the Mississippi House of Representatives. The biography on his campaign website says he served as a Navy fighter pilot and a pilot instructor. He describes himself as a, quote, Christian conservative who loves our nation and is committed to preserving the blessings of liberty bestowed upon us by the founding generation, end quote. The display caught Cassidy's attention earlier this week. This was last Tuesday. He reposted a message on Twitter that included two photos, one of a Thomas Jefferson statue being removed from an unspecified location and one of the Satanic Temple display. Quoting, We have reached the point where our capitals are removing Jefferson while monuments to Satan are erected, the message read. A fund was set up to raise money for Cassidy's legal defense following his arrest after $20,000 was raised. Cassidy wrote on Twitter that the fundraising was halted, but late this past Friday morning, Cassidy posted that he, quote, had been notified of more potential legal charges, unfortunately, so I've opened the legal fund donation back up, end quote. So it's a grift. <laughs> yeah, it was... I don't know if that was originally his thought, but he's obviously $20,000. I don't think he's going to need $20,000 for a legal defense of criminal mischief in the fourth degree. No, I don't think so either. But, you know, I just take him at his word... He's been radicalized. A lot of Republicans have been radicalized. That Nazi rhetoric you say Trump is, you rightly say, Trump is using. 
Um, the Des Moines Register did a poll a couple days ago. Those kinds of statements, people like them. More people vote for him, say they're going to, you know, they feel better about him when he makes those Nazi statements. Yeah. So they've been radicalized. He's been radicalized. Um, he'll, you know, he's, you know, going to be, you know, uh, some kind of a martyr, you know. He's going to play this all out. And I think I wrote, you know, um, he achieved fame, fame faster than you can say Kyle Rittenhouse and Ashley Babbitt. I mean, he's yeah. <laughs> instant somebody. And so exactly. it'll, it'll help him. But he's been radicalized. I mean, it's not like he's stupid. It's just it's the way that the Republican Party is nowadays. And, uh, oh, yeah, he's a hero, yeah. an absolute 100% hero mm -hmm. in the entire Republican Party. I'm sure there's even a few Democrats that agreed with what he did. Yeah, probably. It's, and it's interesting, you know, the people that put it up, they don't really believe in Satan. They're just trolling. People you know, like Michael Cassidy yeah. or whatever his name is. And Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis contributed to his uh, scam. So, I, I don't know. I, I say it's a scam, a grift, but he believes it. And I don't know. It's... It's very complex. It's very sad. And we will get to that rhetoric in, in a moment. But I did also want to bring up this story from the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Michael Lass, good on you for doing the reporting on this. Last Wednesday, former U.S. President Donald Trump singled out Iowa All-American Ray Guy Award winner Tory Taylor during Trump's campaign event in Coralville. Taylor was present, seated next to former U.S. Acting Attorney General Matt Whitaker, who is a former Hawkeye football player, in the front row. Quoting Trump, we have this beautiful, big, strong, physical specimen. I never knew they made punters this big, but he's a big guy. American or All-American, number one in the country, Tory Taylor from the Iowa Hawkeyes. Oh, he's going to make a lot of money. I want to be his agent. Can I be your agent, please? When asked why he attended the Trump event, Taylor said he was curious and simply wanted the experience. Quoting Taylor now, I don't have any political agenda or anything like that whatsoever. When I got here, it was three years ago, he was the president. I just thought my time at Iowa is nearly up. I'll just go and see what it's about. It really would be no different if I was in the UK and I wanted to go see, is it King Charles or whatever his name is? Donald Trump came to town. He's a former president. I just sort of go see what it's all about, end quote. Getting mentioned by a president, Taylor said, quoting, is obviously pretty cool, but like I said, I don't have any political agenda. I can't vote or anything like that, so I don't worry about that stuff. It was just one of those things I wanted to experience before I was done. I'd never been to like a rally, as they say, so I just thought I'd go down there. The last couple weeks I'm in Iowa, so I thought, why not? I really enjoyed the experience. I really enjoyed the talk. It's nothing that I've heard before. You don't really get that stuff back home in Australia. So, of course, when he said that he can't vote, he is not a legal citizen of the United States. He's here, I'm guessing, on a student visa to punt for the Iowa Hawkeyes. And soon enough, as he said, he will be out of Iowa City because he will very likely be drafted in the NFL draft. If not drafted, he will be on an NFL roster next year. Yeah, you know, it was interesting to hear that because... I think everybody should go to a Trump event. Sure. I mean, they're very interesting. You can disagree. You can be sickened, whatever. You know, but they're really, you know, quite amazing. But what really struck me about Trump's comments was how homoerotic they were. Oh, yeah. 
And submissively homoerotic. Big, beautiful, strong, physical specimen. Didn't know they made punters this big, but he's a big guy. Yeah. Big guy. Yeah, I want to be your agent. Is I want you to make money. I want to be your agent. That's the submissive part of it. Right. I want to work for you. Yeah. yeah. Big, beautiful, physical specimen. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I might write about that because, you know, it's, it's like Trump wishing. I mean, Trump pining. Oh, he to, would love to look like Tory Taylor. Yeah. I mean, he's obviously jealous is yeah. what it is. Yeah. It's not affection that he's showing it's jealousy just i mean he has a habit of doing that with he says that about the generals a big strong straight out of central casting is his big phrase that he likes to use but he does like to pour it on on these big tough guys which again donald trump is big but he's certainly not a tough guy no can you imagine donald trump playing football even punting (laughs) in a football game he would crap his pants well no i I don't know. I saw Trump uh, WrestleMania, and he moved pretty quick, probably 20 years ago. Well, yeah, in a scripted thing where all he has to do is pick a guy up that's already helping him. I mean, I wouldn't put too much stock into his wrestling prowess. Nobody moved. He was agile. Well, fair enough. I mean, agile is much different than being tough, though, is my point. No, right. He's not tough. He wasn't actually wrestling in WrestleMania. No, he's a weenie. Yeah. So it was interesting. Of course, Trump is not going to miss that opportunity to co-opt that appearance by Tory Taylor. It's yeah. very smart from him yeah. to associate himself with somebody that's there in his own words just to see what was going on. I mean, he's never been to one of these before. And as he said, he's a, he's a foreigner. He's Australian. So to see a former U.S. president, not something that he has gotten to do much in his life and may not in the future. So might as well go... See what the fuss is about, right? Yeah, absolutely. Good for him. So segueing from that into President Trump's Nazi rhetoric, this is from NBC News. Former President Donald Trump said immigrants coming to the U.S. are, quote, poisoning the blood of our country, end quote, in a remark on Saturday that quickly drew a rebuke from his chief Democratic rival as President Joe Biden's campaign likened the words to those of Adolf Hitler. Quote, And I'm quoting Trump here. They let, I think the real number is 15, 16 million people into our country. When they do that, we got a lot of work to do. They're poisoning the blood of our country, Trump told the crowd at a rally in New Hampshire. That's what they've done. They poison mental institutions and prisons all over the world, not just in South America, not just to three or four countries that we think about, but all over the world. They're coming into our country from Africa, from Asia, from all over the world. Trump then repeated the use of poisoning in a post on his social media website, Truth Social, saying in all caps, quoting, illegal immigration is poisoning the blood of our nation. They're coming from prisons, from mental institutions, from all over the world. The term blood poisoning was used by Hitler in his manifesto Mein Kampf, in which he criticized immigration and the mixing of races. Quoting Hitler here, all great cultures of the past perished only because the originally creative race died out from blood poisoning. Wow. And uh, what, three of Donald Trump's wives were immigrants? immigrants? And uh, wasn't, uh, well, I guess some of the poisoning, he can look right in his family. I mean, 
Don Jr. I mean, really, that blood was, I mean, <laughs> this wasn't a good match. Full of lead, yeah. arsenic, yeah. yeah I mean, Who knows no. what's coursing through his veins. And Eric, too, probably. But, and so his kids are second-generation immigrants. So <laughs> Right. And yeah. also morons. Yeah. But he would say, well, they're legal. But it doesn't matter. I mean, if you're going to do the blood poisoning the blood, it doesn't matter whether they're legal or illegal as long as... You know, they reproduce with, the, you know, people that are already here, the godly folks like so Republicans. My, my question is, why do you think he's using this language? Because it works. It works. It fires people up. I mean, when, when Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley or any of the Republicans talk, you know, about immigration and use, you know, harsh words for immigrants, Nikki Haley doesn't do it that often, but Ron DeSantis does. And... And he's just positively horrific, laughing about shipping people, you know, from Texas. Why well, he's doing that? He's not Texas's governor. Right. To, to Martha's Vineyard, you know, he just loves the cruelty of that, and Iowa Republicans in the crowd love it too. It's demonizing them. It's easier if you make them. Well, I mean, this was not just Hitler's lessons, but lessons of demagogues and cruel dictators forever you have to demonize the other people make them subhuman and when they're subhuman it's easy to be cruel to them to you know do whatever you want to them because they're subhuman he's painting them as subhuman you're all human it's concerning this creep from small pockets of the internet stormfront facebook groups of white supremacists or neo-Nazis, you used to think of this as the dark corners of the mm -hmm. internet. And now it's obviously in the front runner of the GOP nomination's mouth, the same things that you would see on those kinds of websites. And FBI Director Ray just testified a few weeks ago about the emergence, the continued emergence of white supremacy, the is leading and can lead even further to terrorism. He specifically said that there are flashing red lights everywhere he looks. That also includes now we have the war between Israel and Hamas and the situation in Gaza, but that also ties into, obviously, when you are talking about Israel, you're talking about Jews, and that also ties in very nicely with what this white supremacist are all about so it's just concerning that now it's just all out there in the light and he's now encouraging making people feel even more welcome into the political conversation people that we used to absolutely shun yeah i mean and who was that uh, the other day one of the conservative firebrands said that all non-christians need to be executed uh, Nick Fuentes. Nick Fuentes, yeah. Who recently dined with Donald Trump, Trump. and Kanye West yeah. at Mar-a-Lago. Yeah. And Donald Trump tried to say that, or somebody tried to say that Kanye West brought Nick Fuentes along and that he wasn't actually invited. But if he wasn't invited, you didn't want him to be there. You're Donald Trump, former president, in your house. Well, <laughs> you don't let him into your house. Who he was. Well, that's yeah. obviously not so that true. I mean, all of that rhetoric is is all part of it. And the same kinds of language is used. And I've heard, you know, at the Curry Lake event this summer, the the 
the craziest person there wasn't Carrie Lake. It was the speakers who local people that spoke before Carrie Lake, talking about the evil of Democrats and and saying Democrats and liberals and painting them as less than human beings. Donald Trump referred to you and I, Democrats, as vermin yeah. recently, which is also and, and he's going to come after. Uh, people exactly. That That's the thing. This is media. not. This is not just speech. He will lock up a lot of immigrants and treat them horribly. Separate families. Deport people. Even people that are seeking refuge in what is supposed to be the last great refuge on planet Earth, the United States of America. But you mentioned he's going to get rid of all the Democrats in all the bureaucracy across Washington, D.C. and replace those people, if he replaces them at all, with his own lackeys. Well, you know, people that's, that want to suck him off. Well, and that's what Ron DeSantis said, too. They've, they're building lists of people to come in and replace all the Biden appointees. And he could just use the, you know, the Heritage Foundation's list that I've been watching them build for months now at different uh, candidate events. They're... They went to the Iowa State Fair to sign up people to be in Trump's cabinet. They're ready now. Yes, yeah. they are ready now. They are. They want to be ready on January 20th of 2025 to be ready to kick all of these people out yeah. and put the people that they want into position. Yeah. They had obviously been working on this for four years previously. Thank God Joe Biden was elected the last go-round. But if Donald Trump does get reelected... Goodbye to democracy. Even Howard Stern recently said this is this is a a vote between democracy and dictatorship. That you have to vote Democrat. This isn't a policy discussion. This is whether or not you believe in the tenets of America. Right, and they act like they're patriots, yeah. and they're not. They want to blow everything up. They want to basically reconstruct the United States of America as the Confederate States of America. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. You know, and Ron DeSantis was talking about one Florida college that was sort of pushing back on, you know, some of the things that he, you know, wanted them to do. I think probably um, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah, get rid of those back. commissions. And, right. Yeah, and so then, you know, well, one college, he, you know, kicked out all of the... Uh, um, the members of the board and put on conservatives, including people that weren't from Florida. Right. But um, he said if that college doesn't do what he wants, then he's just going to end funding to it. So rather than you just have different ideas about the way the world works and, and whatever, he's, he's going to kill it. Yeah, the only marketplace that they will allow is the economic marketplace. They don't want an open marketplace to ideas. No. No, because I mean, they know. And the, th the funny thing is, you know why? Because they know they lose every time. Mm -hmm. If you pull almost anything, if you if we didn't have gerrymandering and if I mean, I've been a long uh, opponent of the Electoral College. I think the Electoral College has gotten us into this mess, period. Yeah, because when you go against the will, when when most of my lifetime, a Democrat wins the election by popular vote, and then they don't actually make it in the White House, that does two things. One of all, it makes people feel like their vote doesn't matter. Right. So then they're likely to vote much less. Why would I vote when it doesn't really matter, the guy that I wanted to win? And then secondly, it puts people that are in the minority in the majority. Yeah. So then they can gerrymander and continue to consolidate more and more power, which... None of this should have been happening over the past 25 to 30 years. 
No. But it's Senator Kerry should have been president. Yeah. I mean, well, I should, I mean, really, it should have been Al Gore. Yeah. Should have beaten Bush the first time, and then there wouldn't have been a, a John Kerry yeah. until 2008. But you get my point. Right. But, you know, Al Gore just steps aside, follows the process, wants a peaceful transition to power. Right. And the, and the Republicans go down and, you know, and steal the election. Right. So you were just at this event with Ron DeSantis, and you wrote about this in Deep Midwest. It's your latest post. So again, if you want to find that, just Google Deep Midwest, and then make sure that you subscribe so you get all of those great uh, pieces from Dr. Bob in your email inbox. So I'm quoting from Dr. Bob, if I suspend all logic, this is while you're sitting and watching Ron DeSantis. If I suspend all logic, compassion, and democratic norms, and put my Republican hate goggles on, DeSantis is at the top of his game. He's relaxed, seemingly thoughtful, and willing to take on the world. To my mind, he's never been better. Sharp as attack, messaging clear and crisp. The fighter we need as America, quote, rots. If elected president, he will tear through institutions like Godzilla through Tokyo. On day one, all Biden policies end, build the wall, and drill baby drill. Public schools will be gutted. He'll bend the higher education system to his will. And if they resist, no more funding and tenure, no more federal employee unions, fill federal government positions with his lackeys, no DEI, CRT, and break private companies who support our greatest enemy, wokeness. Very well written, Dr. Bob. Thank you. And you mentioned that it was, other than the one protester, which we'll get to here in a moment, a rapt audience. Yep. Cheering, nodding, smiling at all the right parts, scowling at all the right parts or wrong parts. Yeah. It seems to me, and you mentioned this in the article too, you mentioned that this is the best he's looked. I mean, it takes a while for anybody to run a national right. campaign and to be comfortable with an audience. Now he's gotten to know Iowans. Iowans have gotten to know him. He knows what works and what doesn't. And that's showing when he's on the stage. Yeah. Absolutely. And there was a whole different mood. I think he's just, he might just have accepted that he's not going to win and just as relaxed and, you know, you know, think about next time. Exactly. Just as I was driving to the library today to record, I was thinking exactly the same thing. I think it has sort of settled in that, I mean, it's going to be Donald Trump's nomination unless something catastrophic happens. So, and I, and I think a lot of this to begin with was probably Ron DeSantis thinking, I need some practice. I need to go out and campaign. And regardless of who wins, Biden or Trump, there's going to be an open situation come 2028. So obviously he'll have a chance to run again in four years. It's not like he's going to have to wait eight years, even if Trump wins. And he's still going to be young. He's going to be in his yeah. early 50s. And isn't he like 46 or 48 now? I'm not exactly sure, but it sounds about right. I would guess mid 40s. So it was it was it was interesting to me how easily all the people in the audience were willing to accept the destruction of all democratic norms that our country was built on. They just cast them aside. And it's a worldwide problem. I mean, there's there's um, authoritarian regimes rising everywhere, and I think in one of the pieces I wrote recently. Um, the role of right-wing Christian, in air quotes, uh, radio is amazing in the sense that 
when we talk about authoritarian regimes, when they talk about Orban or the new guy in um, Venezuela or, yeah, and uh, when they talk about Putin, they talk about them as being conservatives and that they're not authoritarians, they're conservatives. And everybody else are Marxists or communists. Sure. And so they frame the whole world like we're worrying about the rise of authoritarianism. They're excited that the conservatives are winning, including the greatest dictators in the world, are being reimagined as conservatives. Right. And there's nothing conservative about them. The protester, I did watch the video that you posted with your article about your visit to the DeSantis rally. Again, it was at Smoky Row in Oskaloosa. And there was a woman in the crowd that did interrupt uh, kind of in the middle of Ron DeSantis' speech. He basically just shut her down. She was escorted out by his security, and he just continued to go on with a stump speech, basically, as she was talking. But you, the good reporter that you are, decided to follow her and see what the issue was. So I do encourage people to go listen to her for yourself. You recorded, audio recorded that interview and also transcribed it as well. But she had some real concerns about his tenure as the governor in Florida. Yes, she did. She's concerned. There's a couple of concerns. One more general. I mean, one is, well, several more general ones. She's concerned about higher education, the funding of public schools. She's concerned about the rights of women. Yes. She thinks that women are being trampled upon. Um, and I think she's right. And... Uh, She's also concerned that in a school district she knows something about that relatives of her kids go to, that there's, in the, in the Christian schools, there's a sex offender. And that they just give the person's name. So she was critical of the accountability. How do you know if your, your teacher doesn't have to be accredited? You yes, it was my understanding that she was using that as an example yeah. rather than just trying to a personal vendetta to get this one person fired. This was more about just like what's happening in, in Iowa, yeah. where our public tax money goes to private schools, most of which are Christian, and then that money disappears basically into right. a black hole. There's no accountability, and they can hire and fire whoever they want, and we don't know. With no accountability. Exactly. Right. So, so that was her concern, and she was concerned about the safety of children everywhere in the private schools. And so all of the Republican legislators were talking about protecting their kids by protecting kids by letting them in the private schools when if there's not accountability for hiring and whatever. Well, um, we've seen what the Catholics did. The Catholics had basically a system in which they allowed child molestation and rape. A system set up. To move priests around, move them to foreign countries, move them to third world countries to get rid of them. And then, of course, they do that to these poor kids in yeah. Mexico, etc. So, which I still, it's awful. I mean, every time I read stuff about it, it's awful. And it's real. And it was widespread. So, it's, it, it stands to reason that it's still going on. It may not be going on at the level that it was maybe 10, 20 years ago because of great reporting, by the way, for the most part, not because of law enforcement, because many of them were Catholic and they're not going to bust their priest. But it goes back to the point of 
they can do that with no oversight. Yeah. And that was her concern. Move teachers around. I mean, they don't want to make themselves look bad because if they fire a teacher because they did something inappropriate, that makes the whole church look bad. Makes the whole school look bad. So right. you just because let then the because person then you're, go away. Correct. That's in their mind, that's the right thing to do. Whereas, just, of course, the right thing to do would be to notify law enforcement and for that person to be locked up if they were guilty. Right. Absolutely. But that was her concern. And if you get a chance to listen to her voice, she yeah. was so upset. Yeah. She was so upset. Which, for good reason. I mean, I'm kind of surprised that there aren't more protesters like her at a lot of these events. But they're also... I mean, DeSantis made sure that Ty Rushing, one of the most respected reporters in the state of Iowa, couldn't come to one of his events. So I'm sure there's a lot of protesters actual protesters, not reporters that have been turned away I'm long sure. before they even get into the room that he's in. I mean, I'm sure they have files on look out for this person, look out for that person, look out for that. I guarantee they do. Yeah. Obviously they had one on Ty rushing. Yeah. Let's take a wider scope. This is from ProPublica. Again, I would encourage you to go read the whole thing because it was very in depth. But in early January 2000, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas was at a five-star beach resort in Sea Island, Georgia, hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. After almost a decade on the court, Thomas had grown frustrated with his financial situation, according to friends. He had recently started raising his young grandnephew, and Thomas's wife was soliciting advice on how to handle the new expenses. The month before, the justice had borrowed $267,000 from a friend to buy a high-end RV. At the resort, Thomas gave a speech at an off-the-record conservative conference. He found himself seated next to a Republican member of Congress on the flight home. The two men talked, and the lawmaker left the conversation worried that Thomas might resign. Congress should give Supreme Court justices a pay raise, Thomas told him. If lawmakers didn't act, quote, one or more justices will leave soon, maybe in the next year. At the time, Thomas's salary was $173,600, equivalent to over $300,000 today. But he was one of the least wealthy members of the court, and on multiple occasions in that period, he pushed for ways to make more money. In other private conversations, Thomas repeatedly talked about removing a ban on justices giving paid speeches. Congress never lifted the ban on speaking fees or gave the justices a major raise. But in the years that followed, as ProPublica has reported, Thomas accepted a stream of gifts from friends and acquaintances that appears to be unparalleled in the modern history of the Supreme Court. Some defrayed living expenses, large and small, private school tuition, vehicle batteries, tires, other gifts from a coterie of ultra-rich men supplemented his lifestyle, such as free international vacations on the private jet and super yacht of Dallas real estate billionaire Harlan Crow. George Priest, a Yale Law School professor who has vacationed with Thomas and Crow, told ProPublica he believes Crow's generosity was not intended to influence Thomas's views, but rather to make his life more comfortable. Quote, his, or he views Thomas as a Supreme Court justice as having a limited salary, so he provides benefits for oh, him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this yeah. is just out of the kindness of his heart. Right. He's a Supreme Court justice. They just don't pay you well enough, Clarence. Here's all these trips it. and a car. I and, don't expect anything for no, it. No, no. And who's this professor? I mean... George Priest. Yeah, well, he's their buddy. Why would he... Well, exactly, of course. I mean, 
I, I found it odd that they put that in the article because it doesn't necessarily shed any new light on the situation other than to show that this is sort of par for the course when it comes. I mean, this is a Yale Law School professor who's also going on these trips with this ritzy Dallas billionaire. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't. It just doesn't work that way. Gifts don't work that way. Correct. There's um, anthropologists and economists have been studying this for a long time. Gift giving is reciprocity, and there's different kinds of reciprocity. Like if I uh, buy you, a, you know, a dinner, it's generalized reciprocity. What I'm going to get, you don't have to give everything exactly the same we don't have to buy the same dinner but but if i buy you dinner in your head you're thinking okay I've the next time remember. yes yeah, next time I'm i, I need a chance time. to pay this back right and it's just and it sits there yeah and, and we remember it and there's you know specific kinds of reciprocity where i say loan me five bucks would you and then i'm well here's a reason well back. here's a recent example right in the christmas season clayton a co-worker and friend of mine told me that he got me a Christmas gift. I had not gotten him a Christmas gift. So when I found that out, I then ordered him a Christmas gift. Yes. We have to work that way. And it's, and it, we can recognize it explicitly or subconsciously. But if somebody gives you, there's asymmetrical uh, generalized reciprocity too. Like if I bought you, oh, uh, let's see, um, a, you know, a thousand dollar something. Yeah. You would say no. I can't accept that because I can't. I can't pay that back. Time. Right. Yeah. So if I bought you something really fancy, you would. You know. So like if you even like if you get your sister, uh, you know, a four hundred dollar cashmere sweater, she might not like that right. because she has to come up with something. Exactly. Sort then of then her gift of a fifty dollar Target gift card looks as you said, asymmetrical. And so what this professor is saying, what Crow is saying, what Thomas is saying is that this fundamental thing to human nature, how we respond to gift giving, isn't a part of what they're doing. It's hardwired in us for Thomas to think, what do I owe this guy? How can I sort of come, how can I rationalize my decision in his favor? And it I'm sure it's conscious, but it doesn't have to be. Right. I mean, he's going to be doing it. Exactly. He has to respond. It's human nature. It's like having to breathe almost that we have to respond. Now, there's some people that cheat about it and don't care about it, but most people recognize that. So. And two things that I took from this is, one, He's obviously not a great money manager when he had just True. borrowed two hundred sixty-seven thousand dollars to buy a high-end RV. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, you you're start you're worried about your financial issues. Well, yeah, it seems like there was a pretty large purchase that you could have not done, and you wouldn't be in so much debt. And then, secondly, the fact that obviously this goes along or goes around, I think, not just in the Supreme Court, but in politics in general. But the fact that he is the worst of the worst. <laughs> like, the fact that he's taken all these trips and gotten all these benefits and all this money, and the fact that they even bring up things like vehicle batteries. Like, a Supreme Court yeah. justice can't afford a $40 Duralast battery at O'Reilly Auto. Like, I buy my own freaking 
vehicle batteries. Can't a Supreme Court justice buy his own tires? Well, so what it no, what it is is I bet that he goes to the mechanic, and the mechanic just does it for free. So that's how a lot of rich people do it. They just right. give it for free. I have a, an acquaintance who was uh, out in Washington, D.C., who was a, a member of a pianist for a, one of the big national orchestras. Yeah. And uh, um, she was asked by the Marriott, Marriott people if, they would, if she would do piano lessons for their daughter. Well, and she did piano lessons for the daughter... And uh, after a year, she said, you know, you think I could get paid? And they were astounded that she would want to be paid when it was, you know, it was enough for her to be teaching the Marriott's child. I mean, these people think about money in all kinds of different ways than we do. Right. I actually just saw an old skit when Eddie Murphy returned to SNL to host for the first time. And he dressed up and put makeup on to be white for a day and the first store he stops in he grabs a newspaper and puts down a few quarters to pay for the newspaper and the cashier's like no we like just take it and eddie murphy's like what what <laughs> and as he's walking out there's a voiceover of eddie murphy saying the first thing i realize is when white people are alone they give each other things for free so even Eddie Murphy back in 1976 had this whole thing down. Yeah. yeah. As long as you're in the club. Right. But the thing is, once you're in the club, you have to do things for one another. Yeah. It's like there are strings attached. Right. I mean, if Clarence Thomas were to rule in a way that Harlan Crow didn't want him to, that money dries up pretty quick. Yeah. No more fun trips. Exactly. And he doesn't have to say anything about it. Just, no, Clarence, we're done. Well, And then, and then what does Clarence do? It's not like he can go out to the press and say, my sugar daddy won't give me money anymore because I ruled against his business or whatever it was. Yeah, he's corrupt. And his <laughs> wife's a traitor. He's a traitor. Oh, yeah, that's the other thing, too. I mean, Jenny Thomas, my goodness. <sighs> anything else interesting happen this week or in the weeks ahead? Um, I'm going to try to get into the CNN debate um, right before the caucuses. It's in Des Moines. Um, going to go see Vivek Ramaswamy probably on Thursday. I did hear that he's planning time. another yeah. kind of statewide tour all the way through the state. And I mean, we were talking about Ron DeSantis. Maybe he's sort of fixing his gaze on 2028 now rather than this year. And I'm guessing that Vivek is thinking the same thing. Let's ride this out for the few, first few states, get that name recognition up a little bit. Maybe I can be in Trump's cabinet or, you know, at least be in the Republican orbit for the next four years. To I don't know if he's bright enough. Well, I guess it doesn't take brightness. I get he is just so wrong about so much. <laughs> he and really he's is. such a petulant little well, look at his constituents. Yeah. I mean, they're wrong about a lot of things, and they're petulant little children. Yeah, who? Republican voters. Oh, just the Republican. Yeah, that's for sure. But so I mean, <laughs> so yes, you and I can see right through this bullcrap. But yeah. to a certain portion of the Republican base, he's the up-and-coming kid. He's, he's the next big thing. Yeah, yeah. His, he's so ignorant. Yeah. About so much. 
And he, yeah, sold a bunch of penny stock to become rich. He's basically like uh, the Jordan Belfort, Leonardo DiCaprio from uh, The Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. That's him, basically. Yeah. Using I mean, his connections, using his mom, who was an actual scientist, an actual doctor, to say that this drug will get FDA approval that he had the rights to, that he had bought for very cheap. And she said that, yeah, it's going to work. And then eventually it didn't get passed. The FDA said it wasn't safe to take. But by then he had made his money. Yeah. And that's how he became Vivek Ramaswamy, the next big thing in Republican politics. Yeah. I, don't th- I think he's going to fade. I do, too. I think it's really a three-horse race right now. I mean, Chris Christie is still in it, but he has no shot in hell, obviously. So, yeah, it's between Haley, DeSantis, and Trump. And a lot's going to come down to, I think we've been talking about this for a long time, in South Carolina. It's also interesting, too, to see what Tim Scott does, because Tim Scott, to me, seems like a really good running mate for Donald Trump. Could be. And Donald Trump's support among black voters, especially young black voters, astonishingly, is going up. So if he were to have a black running mate, you would think that would only help his numbers. And Tim Scott is a true believer in Donald Trump. And it would never say a bad word about Donald Trump, really. Yeah. Nope, he wouldn't. Hasn't. So, yeah, I mean, a lot to be decided here in the next, really, just four weeks away. January 15th is the caucus. When is the debate? Do you know? Um, Early January? Yeah, maybe the 10th. Gotcha. So, yeah. Pretty much right on the eve of the caucuses. Yeah, it's. Uh, are you planning to caucus, or are you going to go to a caucus site or a few to kind of see what's going on, or what are your plans for caucus night? Well, I will go. I will drop by. I'll go to a Republican one. I'll go to a Democratic one. But you know, I tell you, we got the stuff from the Democratic Party of uh, um, Iowa. I mean, our caucus. Our preference cards. Yeah. Or I got mine anyway. And um, I'm sorry, I'm looking up the presidential debate. Uh, Again, this segment is is Spencer and Dr. Bob Google shit. Yeah. And it's January 10th. Okay. January 10th. Yeah. And what was I talking about? Just going to the different caucus sites. Yes. I have to go see. I have to go see all of the different sites. And then you were also mentioning that. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So I look it up and I go, they go. So I get it, I'm looking in it, and they go, you know, print this out, and then send it in, and I thought, nope. Yeah. I'm not going to do it. Right. I'm not going to do it. Who cares? Another internet thing I can't even do on the internet. <laughs> right. I have to print, print it, out, it yes. And get a stamp, an ancient thing called What is the, the Democratic Party doing, man? I don't know. Seriously? I, maybe I should write about that, because it was just, it's so old-fashioned. Why do I need a stamp? I have to go to the to the post. Office I guarantee office. there. If you're under the age of thirty, you probably don't even know what the hell a stamp is, yeah. what it's for, yeah. what it's looked like. I have to write about this because it was. I just you know we get so much stuff we have to deal with, you right. know, in the emails. And is it worth your time? I mean, that's that's actually a quite a bit of work <laughs> to send in a preference when there's Joe Biden. I mean, right. I'm sure it's Joe Biden or. And so it's gonna look really bad. Of course. Really bad when everybody's like me. That aren't going to send it in. Yeah. I mean, you can still go, but you're just going to talk about regular business. So no, terrible idea. Yeah. Yeah, because then what's the point in going anyway? Yeah. 
again, it's a year where Democrats don't have anything to decide. I mean, Biden is going to be the nominee, obviously. All right, top five Christmas movies. Are we ready? Yep. All right, got some. I got a couple OLIs. Some outside looking in. Iron Man three, fantastic movie, borderline Christmas movie, but a really good movie. Mm -hmm. It's by Shane Black, who wrote uh, the Lethal Weapon movies, which also are sort of borderline Christmas movies. Mm -hmm. But he's known for writing movies that take place during Christmas time. So anyway, Iron Man three, and then a newer one, Violent Night. I think we've talked about that on this pod before. It's got Hopper the the cop and Eleven's dad from Stranger Things. Mm -hmm. uh, David Harbour is his yeah. name. Well, he plays Santa Claus, and it's an action movie where Santa Claus is trying to save this family by attackers. So there's action, guns, and it's very, but it's also still heartwarming, too. I like that actor. He's excellent. And a great Santa Claus. I mean, he just yeah. already has that sort of yeah. je ne sais quoi, you know. He just big and jolly. I saw, I saw him in some kind of race car movie. Ah, yeah, that's right. You told me that I need to see that, and I did see that it's on some streaming service that I have. Uh, Gran Turismo. Yeah, ah, that's the one. So those are the two outside looking in. So this now we're getting into the top five. Number five is a Charlie Brown Christmas. Yeah, I you know I remember it as a kid, and no, well you know what? No, no, <laughs> is that no, off no. my list? No, it's on your list, but I found it just so, so sad as a kid. Yeah, it's a little sad. Yeah, no, it was so, so sad. I did not like that at all as a kid, and I wouldn't bother watching it now. I think it is uplifting because then they help Charlie Brown with the tree at the end, and we find the real meaning of Christmas. The other cool thing about it was that it actually had kids voicing the kids, which yeah. normally you have adults doing that, so that lends some more... I guess they took me down to this into this deep pit. <laughs> they didn't get me out enough. They didn't. I know, not not one of mine. Well, the next one is I know on your top five. Number four is Die Hard. First of all, Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Yep. We've discussed that already. It's absolutely a Christmas movie. There is no argument against it being a Christmas movie, and that one is uplifting. Yeah, it's great. Kicks butt. Saves the world, gets the girl. The middle-aged guy does. What more can we want than that? Exactly. And Bruce Willis, man. Yeah. Fantastic. Number three is an old movie that I just watched recently. I believe it was three years ago that I watched it for the first time. It's A Wonderful Life. I haven't watched it since I was a kid. I mean... You should watch it again. It's it's really, really good. And I mean, even though it's black and white, I'm not a big fan of, of old black and white movies which is why I avoided watching it for so long. You'd see it on TV and it just looked old, so I didn't want to watch it. But my girlfriend, Jessie, finally convinced me to watch it, and it's now in my top five. I loved it. I cried at the end. It was the whole thing. Yeah, I like Jimmy Stewart. And Jimmy Stewart is excellent, yeah. yes. Number two is Home Alone. Yeah, it's good. Fantastic. Anything with Joe Pesci in it. Yes. Uh, and yeah, I don't think I need to say much more. Home Alone is widely beloved number one is Scrooged that's my favorite Christmas movie with Bill Murray you've never seen Scrooged nope. Bill Murray plays a network exec that is planning a big Christmas Eve show and of course he is since he's a business exec he is the Scrooge of the movie and doesn't really believe in the true meaning of Christmas and giving and he's more concerned about dollars and cents but of course by the end he realizes that he 
does care about other people and specifically one woman and she changes the whole course of his life yeah well it's good and it's bill murray yeah i mean bill murray is excellent he's a, a, it's pretty much just like a christmas carol i mean mm-hmm. obviously it's called scrooge but he does get visited by that one's his past de- his future and his present that one's too depressing to me too scrooged no Oh, Christmas Carol? Christmas Carol. Oh, yes, it is. Uh, I do like a TNT or TBS, one of those cable networks, just did a remake of A Christmas Carol, and it was very, very dark and dank. We liked it and watched the whole thing, but it was, I mean, up until the very end, basically, it's a very, very depressing movie. Yeah, I just so feel for Tiny Tim. Right. Nope, I wouldn't watch it again. Yeah. So. Have you ever seen a Muppet Christmas Carol? Probably, but I don't remember. I actually just saw recently that that was the the Muppet Christmas Carol. First of all, it's a lot of people's favorite version of that story. But I also just recently saw that it also is the truest to Charles Dickinson's novel. So a lot of the things that Gonzo says straight into the camera as an aside are actually pulled straight from the text of the novel, which a lot of people didn't know. I didn't know until I saw that. Me neither. I love everything the Muppets do, so I'm sure I've seen it. But You've probably seen it. I remember specifically seeing that, you know how you'd watch uh, a movie like the day before Christmas break because you get out early and there's nothing really to do. But I remember watching that movie several different times growing up because it was a movie that you could show in school. You know, It was a rated PG movie right. with the Muppets. So, yeah, I watched that. I don't know if I ever actually watched it outside of school, to be honest. Mm-hmm. It was just one of those movies that was... A favorite of teachers, apparently. Yeah. And it also makes sense. I mean, Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol, but just in Muppet form. So you feel like you're maybe teaching <laughs> literature, <laughs> sort of, maybe. I mean, I guess it's better than Die Hard <laughs> to show in to the show in fourth classroom. grade. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. Anything I'm missing? What's your favorite Christmas movie? I don't really have one. Well, Home Alone, but I wouldn't watch it again. I love it. I watch it pretty much every year. I haven't watched it yet this year. Well, actually, Mixed Nuts is my favorite. I know. We've discussed that, and I still, I don't, I might still have that copy of the yeah. DVD. I might have to check. You need to check, too, and if you have it, let me know. I if don't. you don't, let me know, too. Because I borrowed it and never watched it. Yeah, I'll look and see <laughs> if I've got it, but it's really good, and it's um, got Steve Martin in it. And, yes. You know, a cast of great, great actors. Have you seen Do You Like the Grinch Who Stole Christmas? I don't know if I've seen it. You've never seen like any of the versions of that? I saw Jim Carrey do something with Yes, he was in, yes, The Grinch. It was okay. I'm not a Jim Carrey fan. See, that's my least favorite of the versions anyway. My favorite is the old one, the original cartoon. And then my second favorite is the newest one, which is also animation but updated, you know, with updated like Pixar type animation. But the yeah, Jim Carrey one is fine, but it was certainly far from top five. I liked um oh when I was a kid, the one with uh Burl Ives in it. Um was it Frosty the Snowman? Sure. Like those Rankin Bass cartoons yeah. like Frosty like the Snowman, those, Rudolph yeah. the Red Doves, Reindeer. Yeah. Speaking of, we'll end on this because I'm a little perturbed about this, so I was watching on CBS, I believe it was a football game, and then they were supposed to be going to 
Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And I saw the first like three or four minutes, but as soon as it went to 7.30, it said that it's blacked out and I could not stream that program on my device. So it was like blacked out from YouTube TV. And I did know that Apple TV Plus owns the right to like the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. Christmas. So that's not aired on broadcast TV anymore. So what the hell? Yeah. No and I have YouTube TV. So I don't know if that was the reason where it, you could watch it over the air, but not or on cable, but not through a stream. It was very odd because I was all excited. All right. Because it's been a while since I've seen Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Yeah. That, one, that was good. There's nothing depressing about that, really. No. It was good. I mean, just right at the beginning when he's getting made fun of for the yeah. red nose. But that passes pretty quickly, yeah. and then it's a triumphant story. Yeah. So we'll leave it at that. Merry Christmas, yeah. Dr. Bob. Merry Christmas, It's always Spencer. a pleasure. Hopefully everybody has safe travels over the Christmas holiday, and we'll be back with you next Tuesday. Of course, make sure you subscribe to Iowa Revolution on Substack, as well as Dr. Bob's two Substacks. Again, Deep Midwest politics and culture and he also has cedar creek nature notes which is taking a walk in the woods with dr bob no politics at all just cool science stuff yeah Yeah. fun it's just i shouldn't even say science stuff but yeah just literally just taking a walk in the woods photos music videos yeah Yeah. and also yeah you can follow him on instagram too cedar creek nature notes you post a lot of your pictures there which are really beautiful and really cool so dr bob we'll see you next week all right